0: You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.twelfth.co. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. It is good to be with you. Let's try that one more time. It is a good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I am glad to be with you this morning. I'm glad to worship with you every time we get the chance. I hope you'll uh, be ready to worship this morning through the Word. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. If you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. And uh, as we do, I know that we have had an announcement about it. We've put out some information. And, and this morning, we've also put out, uh, by this point in time, it's on our social media streams. We have this uh, graphic out there about how you can be praying we just we just finished we're finishing today seven days of fasting and prayer as a Church We made a prayer guide for you to pray along with us on that And now we're going to ask you to continue praying And if you desire to continue fasting for a ministry that we've partnered with that we think is one that is of the utmost importance in the world and in our community the a walk County sanctity of life and this is their week of prayer for Sanctity of life. So if you would uh, endeavor to join us in praying for them They have given us five days of prayer starting tomorrow that you can join in in praying to give not only of your treasure but of your time in Prayer and maybe even in volunteering as you see these needs ask the Lord for how he wants you to participate and then share the needs and share the love that this ministry gives to moms and to dads and to children And let us be a part of helping to see lives saved through the glorious ministry of the hands and feet of Jesus in our own community. So please make sure we have these available for you back here. Make sure you pick one up on the way out. You can get it on our website under Next Steps. There'll be a link to it there. Or you can also just find just this front part uh, available also on our social media streams. Now, we've been going through this series of practicing the way of Jesus. And I want us to recognize today that uh, most of us have probably been doing some of these things at some level. Like most of you have been, we talked about last week prayer, you've been praying since you've been a Christian. Off and on, maybe you felt like you could do it better, maybe you feel like you could do it more often. And we talked about how we should step into that idea of prayer every time we do, how we should recognize what we're doing, stepping into the throne room of God to speak to the creator of the universe. But I think that this week what we're going to talk about is is going to be a subject that we find sometimes not so important in our minds. We just feel like it's something we do, but not something at the foremost. It's at the foremost, though, with us today because I believe this particular way of of being like Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus, is actually one that can quell a lot of anxiety, It can get rid of a lot of angst. And if we're honest, most of us have experienced a lot of frustration or angst or anger, or just sadness, or being overwhelmed, not only over the last year, but even into this year, 2021, we really hoped it would be done. And now we're seeing more strains of COVID pop up. We really hoped that we'd be through this great divide in our country, but instead we seem to be more divided today than we were yesterday. And even though we wish that we would see a lot of that not infiltrate the rest of our lives, that angst and that frustration and that sorrow has infiltrated every area of our lives at some level for most of us. In our church relationships, in our family relationships, in our work relationships, we're shorter with people, we're quicker to get angry, we're we're not as fast to show grace and mercy, we're not as comfortable in in trusting that everything's going to be okay. After a year of this, just about, of COVID, we kind of feel like we thought it was going to be done by now. We really thought we'd see the end of the tunnel coming, but we just don't see it at this place. And I'm here to tell you today that this particular practice can help alleviate a lot of that stress if we just recognize the truth of it and walk in the way of Jesus with it. Today we're going to talk about one that you won't really think would fit here or connect, but it's the idea, the practice of stewardship. It's the practice of stewardship. And you may think, what? Like, really? Stewardship? You're going to talk about giving today and that's supposed to help me feel better? No, I'm going to talk about stewardship. Holistically across the board. And I'm going to do that by pointing to a story that most of us, if you've grown up in church, have heard a few times. We've heard it mostly as it being a story about temptation. We've heard it being a story about about a guy who's going through a hard time and how God just lets him go down the rabbit hole and later on it comes out to help his family, a guy named Joseph. But really this story is about the fact that ultimately, no matter what our circumstances, the only real possession that we have If we are in Christ, if we've been bought with the blood of Jesus, if we've been saved, if we're a Christian, the only real possession that is ours is God himself, and we are his, and he is always with us. And that is a good truth for us. But I want us to look at the story of Joseph, particularly in verse, chapter 39, because it's going to show us what it means to be a steward, even when our circumstances do not lean us into wanting to be a good steward. It's going to show us some principles, things that we just know across the board about stewardship that can change your life if you'll believe these biblical principles. So it's a different sermon. We're going to look at a character study. It's a different sermon because we're going to be doing mostly just a topical thing, have a lot of other verses we're going to refer to. But I think that the story of Joseph, which has always been seen as a type of Christ, pointing to Jesus, will be helpful for us as we understand what it looks like to be a good steward. And I challenge you today that if you apply these things to your life on a regular basis and begin practicing this way of Jesus, it will change everything about who you are and about how you live out the gospel. Let me just begin there even by stating a couple of things as we get going, and then I'm going to pray for us. you recognize that over the last, just in my short tenure here of just over two years, maybe two and a half years given here another month or so, in my short time here, I have seen you be, as the church, the most generous church I've ever been a part of. I've seen you do things as the church in your giving and in your faithfulness, not just financially, but also of your time and of your talents, uh, of of your resources outside of finances, but including finances. And I have been overwhelmed over and over and over again. We talked about it in our business meeting, but in case you missed it, uh, at the close of this year, We have gone from, when I got here, we were at about $1.2 million in debt from this facility. And now we're down to around $450,000 in debt because of your generosity and because of your faithfulness in giving. That's amazing. Around $700,000 off of the debt on this place because you have been faithful and you've been generous and you've stewarded what God has given you in order to finish out the task that was started years ago. Do you recognize that even in the season of COVID, where we did see a dip in our giving, we still were over 90% in our tithes and offerings receipts as expected through our budgeting process. And even in that, we saw the faithfulness of our leaders in this church and our staff to make sure that spending remained, at the end of the year, we looked at about $50,000 below income in our tithes and offerings so we were able to save that kind of money. And in fact, I would even argue that it's higher than that because we had to, at the first of the year, we realized an expense that should have been in 2019, but because we didn't get everything finished up and the, the contractors didn't finish out. In the beginning of 2019, we spent about 30 grand on all of our security upgrades and another 10 grand on getting us on live stream because of COVID. When you add that into the cost and you say that those were unexpected or untimed events, and it wasn't a budget event, our actual spending of budgetary income from your work as leaders in our church and from our staff, we've been so good at what they do. We've seen we saved ninety thousand dollars this year from our expected spending. You could say some of that was because, yeah, we didn't have all the ministries going on, but that doesn't account for everything. We have people like Charles Taylor who gives all of his work to help him make sure we save money on facilities and do a good job leading our facilities team. He does an excellent job with that. And Tyler, working with our students last year, doing all the work with Olivia and Luke to, to bring us the best ministry we can for the lowest amount of, of expenditure, watching those P's and Q's as the dollars were coming. Or Tracy Griggs in our children's ministry, doing the work that she does. We have staff and then our leaders, all the committee leaders and all the folks in our deacons, our deacon body that have committed to doing everything they can to make sure we are the best stewards we could possibly be. It is an honor to walk with you and to serve you alongside you and to serve the Lord. And we have seen God do tremendous things. But ultimately, ultimately, it's not about us making this stuff successful. What we see time and time again is that God is the one, as he's with us, that makes things successful, and he alone deserves the praise and glory. We can thank you and one another and say, good job. As he hopefully, as we hope for that, good job, my my faithful servant, at the end as we arrive. But ultimately, he deserves the praise and the glory, for we are only doing what he has shown us, because he is the great giver of all things. And while it's an honor to walk with you and to serve alongside you, and even it's an honor to be a part of this faith family, it is not ultimately my faith family or your faith family. It's the Lord's faith family because he purchased it on the cross. And then Jesus owns us, and we are his, and our only possession is him. And everything we've been given has been given to us to steward it for his glory. So let's take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to guide us through the word and let us respond in obedience today. Father, would you help us and lead us through your word, help us to see how we should change and how we should walk in ways that give you honor and glory and make much of you, and that we would then, Lord, see you do miraculous things, not just in our finances, Lord, but in reaching the loss that no one else is reaching in this place and around the world, that we would be a beacon of hope for the hurting, that we would be a place where people that are broken and have messed up lives like us would see that there is hope in Jesus, and that we would get to be the mouth and the hands and the feet of the gospel and be a part of your work in Ettawau County and around the world for the sake of your glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 39. Let's look at this story. I'm going to read it through. We're going to cover a few pieces and jump into some principles we can glean about stewardship from here and all throughout Scripture If you know, real quick, Joseph was like the chosen child of his dad. He was the one that all the brothers didn't like because he was the favorite. He would have these dreams where he was promoted above his brothers, and he would always talk about them, and they got really mad and tired of it and decided they were going to kill him. And eventually they threw him into a pit. Instead of killing him, they sold him off to slavery. And he was bought by a guy in Egypt named Potiphar, who was a pretty high-up-ranking official. And this is where we pick the story up. Chapter 39, verse one. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Notice that phrase. We're gonna hear it a couple of times here, several times. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Notice that right the Lord is with him and the Lord is the cause for all things going well. Not because of his obedience, although he was obedient, not because he was a great wise leader, but even though it seems that he was, but he's blessed and successful because the Lord made him successful. See where the glories goes? So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and a field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And you may think, gosh, look at Joseph rising on up in power. Remember this, he's still a slave. His family abandoned him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and now he's still a slave. So don't be thinking, look, it's getting good for Joseph, but he's still a slave. But man, the Lord's doing good stuff in and through him. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That's the same thing said about his mom a few chapters before. It's the only time we see a guy referred to like this in the scriptures. And it's important because the story kind of takes a dip here. Verse 7, after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. This is kind of normal. Okay? This was normal in that day. They'd have slaves, and they would, they would have sexual relationships with their slaves whenever they wanted, and so she's commanding Joseph to lie with her. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So although he doesn't want to go against his master who has treated him well, he even says it greater... How can I sin against my God in this way? He sees all things in light of his ultimate father being over all things. He's serving his father predominantly and ultimately, and also serving his master in this particular situation. And then we see that as she spoke to Joseph, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He's doing exactly what the New Testament says, by the way, is a quick kind of funny but true. You know that the only sin God says to run from is sexual immorality? It's the only one. Everything else is like standing in faith and in sexual morality, He says flee sexual morality. That's what Joseph does. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, "See, he's brought up among us, talking about her husband, a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. There's another lie, right? He didn't come in to lie with her, and now she's crying out she didn't cry out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice, no she didn't, and cried out, and he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Another twist of the truth It's not true. She she grabbed his garment, and he got out of there as fast as he could. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. Oh, the story's twisted a little bit there. It's changed, right? That's what happens. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Paul's right there. So Joseph... Betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, sold to a guy, started off low, worked his way up by being faithful, and God blessed him, made his work successful. Now has a woman chasing him around the house for a while, trying to get him to lie down with her. He refuses, refuses, does the right thing, does the right thing, does the right thing, and still gets persecuted, arrested, thrown in prison. Now, usually you would have been killed for adultery, especially as a slave. Maybe Maybe Potiphar didn't totally believe his wife. We don't know, but he ends up in jail. That's because of God's providence is what we really know. He puts him there for a reason that comes later. But Joseph must be thinking, God, where are you? Just like we've probably gone through this last year thinking, God, where are you right now? In my struggles, in my hurts, in my suffering, in my my heartache. Where are you, Lord? Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Not only that. And showed him steadfast love in prison and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no, deten- no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. There it is again twice in the beginning, twice in the end, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Again, he's the one making it succeed. You know, I grew up hearing this story as a story about temptation, about how to avoid temptation, about what to do. And there's, there's definitely a story in here about temptation. We don't even see that he's really tempted. We just see that he was pursued and he did the right thing in a moment that was probably difficult. He knew he could get in trouble, kept trying to evade. But this I don't really believe is a story about morality or about temptation. This is a story, when you look at it, and you let the language speak for itself, and our God spoke every word on purpose that has been written down. So I believe he's got a purpose in showing us what he's talking about and what's important by letting the language speak for itself as he communicates to us. And what we see is in the beginning and at the end, multiple times at the beginning, multiple times at the end, the point he puts across is the Lord was with Joseph. And everything that was good that was done was done because the Lord made it succeed. But the Lord was with Joseph. In his good times and in his affliction, the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was a good steward of all that was set before him, because the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord made it all successful. And you and I, and everything that we go through, and all the struggles that we have, and all the worries we have about our 401K, or about our business, or about about the things that we've been been put into our stead, about our children, about our families, about our relationships, about our reputation. We're real worried and angst-filled about those things getting messed up or losing those things. We need to remember a few things. I want to give us three principles that's going to help from that. But let me tell you, we need to remember that those things are not ours. They are the Lord's. That's the first of the principles. God owns everything. Everything is His. And if we are in Christ, the only thing we really have is Him. That's the only thing we really have possession of, is Him. Because He owns us, and so therefore we are His. But everything in this world belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That means everything belongs to the Lord. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 50, 10 and 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the Lord says, the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine, he says. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Job 41:11, as he's talking to poor Job, "Who has first given to me that I should repay them?" The Lord says, "Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine." He says, "1 Corinthians 10:26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof." Paul quoting Psalm 24. James 1, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Everything in this world, everybody in this world, are owned by the Lord even those who are not saved at this point. Created by, owned by, and possession of God to do as he pleases. He needs not anything from us. He's not sitting around hoping that we give enough money or that we give enough of our time so he can do his work. Sovereign over the universe. Sovereign over our lives. And as Christians, we are not even our own. We belong to God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Look, we were enslaved to our sins, like we sang about, and now we're enslaved to God. We're sons of God. We've been purchased by God, the precious blood of Jesus. And our only real possession in this life is not the stuff we have, the family we've been given, this faith family, or our career, or our reputation, or our 401k. None of that stuff is ours. Our only real possession is God himself. Matthew six nineteen tells us, Therefore, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every good thing in our lives really belongs to God. And if we treat those good things as ultimate things, We will fall into sin because we will not recognize that all those things are not ours but his and we are simply managers or stewards of those things or people. And remember this, no matter our circumstances, if you are in Christ, God is with you. And No matter how hard you work, you and your own volition will never make it work enough and work right to overcome, but God can make it successful. God can make whatever needs to happen, happen. He will accomplish his goals. So in order to recognize that everything belongs to him, our lives, our families, our kids, our homes, our church, we need to understand then that we as stewards, the second principle, we are responsible. We are responsible for managing God's possessions, God's way for God's glory. That's what we're responsible for. If none of it is ours, then we don't make decisions about what we think is best. We make decisions about what God says we should do with it. We don't make decisions about how we raise our children, about what we think is best. We do what God says is best with those children. We don't make decisions about what we should do with the money that we have because it's not our money. We ask, God, what do you want us to do with that? We seek the Lord on what he thinks is the best. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of of, of what else is happening around us or in front of us, we seek His will for it because it's His stuff. It's His children. We've been given stewardship over them. And we bear this responsibility, like I said, irregardless of the circumstances. The question is never, what do we think is best? It's what does God think is best? Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 makes that really clear as a reminder. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Beware, he says, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So the question is not, what do we think is best? What does God think is best? What does his word say? What is his spirit saying to us? What will give God the most glory? That's what we do with his possessions that he's blessed us with to steward for his glory. Let us be careful that we're not driving our kids down a path for what we think is best for them, but instead seek the Lord and let him drive us to lead our children down a path. Of what is his best for them let us not be thinking that we know what is best with our money or our retirement fund or our possessions of house those are all his cars those are his Let us steward them for his glory and grace. What does he say we should do with those things? This faith family, this is not for us to do what we want to do with it. This is what does he want us to do with the things he gives us, with this facility, with these possessions, with the income that we have here. You know what, I can't tell you the number of people that I have talked to or counseled over the years have come to me and talked about their frustrations with someone in the ministry and that they have decided to withhold their tithes and withhold their offerings to the church or to a ministry that they were giving to because they feel like that they just don't like what's happening. My question always is, whose money is it? I'm not here today, you think I'm going to be talking about stewardship. I'm not here today to say you need to give a tithe. In fact, I would tell you that the word tithe comes from the idea of a tenth, a tenth, 10%. Ten percent in the Old Testament, they didn't even just give ten percent; they really gave about twenty-five to thirty percent over the year of their possessions. But the tithe—if you, you got an ounce of dill, you gave a tenth of that. You know, as part of their saying, "This is the Lord's; so we give it back to you." But overall, they gave about twenty-five to thirty percent of their possessions back to the Lord, and they did that even when the Levites were not doing their job as priests and leaders; they still gave it because it wasn't theirs. It was God's kingdom work. And I have to be reminded of that, that no matter what I think about, if I can't trust the ministry I'm given to, just to say, like, if there's a ministry out here, if I can't, if I couldn't trust the Edelwald Pregnancy Crisis Center, but God told me to give that, but I think I can't trust, I need to be wise and make sure I can trust those people with how they're spending the money or find out what they do with it. But ultimately, it's not my money. What is the Lord leading us to do with our money, our time, our treasure, our talents? What's He telling us to do? What's the Holy Spirit say? What does the Word of God say? For listen to the judgment, because we will be judged. Not only do we have responsibility, not only is it all God's, we have responsibility to steward it, but we also need to recognize we will be judged. We will be held accountable for what God gives us to steward. That's the third principle. That's all of them. Listen, Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 on. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, he says. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes, and contributions you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me the whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the lord of hosts if i will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need that's some dangerous stuff to withhold what the lord says you should do with your money now, the New Testament is a lot different even than the Old Testament because the New Testament doesn't say you should give a tenth or give of this at this festival and this at this time of the year. It, it actually tells you most of the time to give what the Lord puts on your heart to give and be a cheerful giver about it. And we see most of the time that means more even than what we saw in the Old Testament. Like the widow's mite, right? The widow, the widow has two pennies basically and she gives and Jesus says, that woman really gave. She gave out of her poverty, gave all she had. You see people in Acts that are just selling their homes, selling their property, and giving all the money to the church. It's crazy, because the Lord led them to do so. As we looked at last week, when the people that did that, to be like everybody else, to walk the religious way, sold their stuff, and they held some back and said they were giving it. So here's all the money from what we sold. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Why would you do that? It was yours before. Why don't you lie about it? Why don't you hold back? You see, they weren't good stewards, If the Lord pushes on on you to do something or to be a part of a faith family and to be a part of a ministry outside of the faith family, you do as the Lord tells you to do. We're not here to be the tithing police. But you better be as honest and open with yourself as possible and say, if the Lord tells me to do something with the money he has given me as steward, not mine, if he tells me to do something with my home, to open it up or to do whatever I need to do, to do something with my car, if he tells me to do something with my kids and my family or with our faith family, we better be obedient to it. Whatever that is. Yes, Lord, Amen. Our job all last week praying and fasting seeking the Lord. What does he want us to do? How does he want us to live? How does he want us to be a part of being the hands and feet and mouth of the gospel? Look, Luke 6:37 and 38. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He's saying, for how you decide to do things, that's how it's going to be measured against you. So if you go over and above in your grace, if you go over above in your kindness, if you go over and above in your giving, if you go over and above in your stewarding things, then God's going to... He's going to give back to you in the same way. That's how it's going to be measured against you, and you're going to be judged for that. And recognize, we must always do the right thing, being faithful to what God has given us to steward. First Corinthians four. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. If we are stewards of the mysteries of God, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about the good news of Jesus. Stewards of the mysteries of God, the mysteries of God are Jesus Christ and him crucified on our behalf. That's the mystery revealed in the scriptures. So if we think that all we have to do is give our tithe and show up to Sunday school and and, and be a part of a small group and and put an ichthys on the back of our, that's what that fish is, on the back of our car, that we're good, that is not what the scriptures tell us as stewards. We've been given the good news about Jesus that's the message of reconciliation so that we might be messengers of reconciliation. We are stewards of all that's been given to us. We've been given Jesus. And now we're told to give him to others. If we're not doing that, woe be our faith family. Woe be our lives, woe, be that's curse upon us if we're not doing those things. You think God was mad about the storehouses not getting the tithes from, from Israel back in the day? What if we're not giving the gospel? Who might we be if we've not been giving out what God has been given to us so freely? You may say, well, if God's going to save them, they're going to get saved. Yes, yes. But he uses us to do it. We don't know who they are. But we know everybody in front of us is somebody that needs to hear the love of Christ. that everybody in front of us needs to be loved the way we've been loved by hearing the good news about Jesus. Because it ain't just for saving in one moment, it's for every moment of our lives. And we are stewards of that grace as well. We must always do that right thing, even when we're treated unfairly, even when somebody comes against you, even when you're misrepresented, even when there's allegations against you for doing something wrong, like poor Joseph. You must always do what is right, always do what is best, always do the good thing, the right thing, for the Lord's sake, stewarding his good grace. We see it all over Scripture. For the leaders... Titus 1, for an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And you say, well, that's good for an overseer, for a leader. But that's not who I am. Oh, but wait. The same thing for all of us. Listen to this in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. How are you doing with your stewardship of the love that God's given you? Are you giving it back out the way he gave it to you? I struggle with that. Are you loving others the way that he's loved you in Christ? It covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is not our faith family. It is because we are in it. But it is his faith family. We do what he wants. This is not my kids. These are his children that he has given me the wonderful opportunity to steward until they grow up to be his messengers of reconciliation on their own, starting more families to do that. This is not my money. This is his money. This is not my house. This is his house. This is not my vehicle. This is not my possessions. This is his possessions. Lord, what do you want me to do with your things? And Lord, may I not bury them thinking that you might judge me harshly if I mess it up. I trust you, Lord. Do I? That's the question I have to ask myself every day. But for those who are in Christ, just like for Joseph, God's love and glory is our driving factor, not our circumstances. The gospel. In the good times and in the bad, God is with us. We are his and he is ours. We are generous because Jesus was generous. He came to become one of us when he should have destroyed us in our sin. He came to serve us and was tempted as we are, but without sin. He, he endured the chastisement and persecution that we can only imagine. Joseph's chastisement and persecution, nothing. It led to Jesus' death on the cross. He endured suffering beyond comparison that we, should, that we should have endured, that he should never have endured, yet he remained faithful, even when we are faithless. On the cross, he bore the burden of saving our souls even to the point of death under the full weight of our sin, bearing the full wrath of God so that we could be redeemed a people for his own possession that he might have us because he loved us that much. And although we feel forsaken at times, he was forsaken on the cross in our place so that we never have to be forsaken. because He tells us, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what it means to be a steward of the mercy and grace of Jesus. How are we showing that grace to others? How are we giving of what he's given to us? How are we showing of that mercy and helping others in need? How are we stewarding the gifts God has given us, this facility, the money that he's given us? How are we giving in all those ways? How are we giving because he's given us? Because he's the giver of all givers. God is with us. He's our only real possession. And everything else is his that we've been given the opportunity to steward. That should change how we live with one another. It should change how we act towards one another. It should change how we care for one another. Not what do we think is best. What is God leading us to do? And let us be giving and generous as great as God is in his giving to us of Jesus to the praise of his glory and his grace. Look, you guys have been above generous in giving to your faith family. I've heard the stories of being above generous in ways that you thought nobody sees. Uh, I've seen you being above generous in your time, your talent, and your treasure. Let me just push back on us a little bit and say in a time where I find myself at home quick to angst and anger Quick to quick to being frustrated Let us recognize the grace and steadfast love That god has shown us you see that when, when joseph goes to prison For something he did not do after he'd been sold into slavery, which was not his own fault in doing It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He's shown every single one of us that steadfast love. How are we stewarding that steadfast love to one another, to our families, to our church family, to our brothers and sisters, to our parents, to our grandparents, to the people that aren't necessarily our friends but God's put in our way? How are we stewarding that steadfast love to those we work with to those we walk by, to those that jump in front of us in line, to those that cut us off. We need the Lord's grace and kindness for every moment. Let us be the stewards of that grace back to one another for his glory. And our ties, our time, our treasure, our talents, all that is his, our families, our faith family, this facility, our homes, Let it be that we use that to his glory for his good name to be much of in this place. Lord, how would you work in us today, Lord? You have pressed it on my heart, I know, as I've been studying through this and seeking you. How are you pressing it on all our hearts, Lord, to be different because of what you've done for us in Jesus? the forgiveness you've shown us, the grace and mercy you've afforded us in the person of your son Jesus and his death on the cross, the giving of the possessions that we have in our caring, in our, in our, our place to be managed by us, the people in our lives, the family you've given us. Lord, how are we to do that? How are we to, to, to walk in those ways? Let us be guided by your word and sensitive to your Holy Spirit and that we would believe that Jesus died in order to have us with you that you would be ours and we would be yours, our one and only possession. And everything else, let us hold loosely and give back to you in any way you tell us or lead us, that we might love well, that we might care for each other well, that we might repent of sin quickly, we might run for holiness continually, that we might walk in your ways no matter how difficult they are, That even when circumstances are bad, that we would be faithful because you've been so faithful to us. That we'd recognize that you own everything. That we'd bear the responsibility of recognizing that it is a light burden in comparison with what Jesus bore for us on the cross. And that we'd know we answer to you, Lord, but we would not be fearful of that because you've made us sons and daughters. And that we would live our lives in light of that truth that you'd receive the glory and that your possessions would go forth and be multiplied, especially, especially the good news about Jesus, that more and more people would come to hear and believe and that you'd receive all the glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for family.